0: Uniformly, people were concerned about the way the redistricting process affected the way democracy works in Pennsylvania. That is, um, they were concerned that the current redistricting process um, created uh, difficulties for voters, created difficulties for candidates, and really um, depressed... um, both turn out, but also increase the mistrust of the legislature over the long term. So we heard a lot of those sorts of statements from people who uh, in- engaged us in the public hearings.
1: From the McCourtney Institute for Democracy on the campus of Penn State University, I'm Michael Berkman. And I'm Chris Beam.
2: And I'm Jenna Spinelli. And welcome to Democracy Works
1: with us today, Jen.
2: Today we are talking with our colleague here at Penn State, Leanne Banisak, uh, who is also a member of the Pennsylvania Redistricting Reform Commission, a group that is uh, looking at redistricting in Pennsylvania. It uh, was formed following a Pennsylvania Supreme Court decision in 2018 that gave the state a new map, and uh, the governor's office is seeking to perhaps make some changes to the way that Pennsylvania's map is drawn in advance of the next census and the next map drawing in 2021.
1: Yeah, Perhaps a, we should start by uh, just talking about how Pennsylvania's maps are actually drawn. There's really two maps, aren't there, Chris?
3: Yeah, there's one for the legislature, a state legislature, and then one for the congressional district. Yeah, we have a kind of
1: strange procedure here where they... But that's so unusual
3: each, for Pennsylvania to have a strange <laughs> procedure. They
1: do each one differently. Uh, so the congressional map, which was the subject of a recent... Pennsylvania State Supreme Court decision. Right. Because
3: of, of suits brought by uh, private agencies right. saying that the, the extant map was
1: unconstitutional in terms of the state constitution. Right. And two partisan. And then the, uh, the state legislative map is drawn... Through a commission of basically partisan members.
3: Well, and there's one non nonpartisan one. Right, that's but Jewish. other
1: than that, it's uh, leaders of the legislature and Supreme Court judges. And this is why the uh, well, the Supreme Court gets to pick people for mm-hmm, it too. And this mm-hmm. is why the uh, election of some Democrats in a recent state Supreme Court election was so important.
3: Right, and it's and also for that. and it also speaks to the fact that um, gerrymandering is often not so much about well it's not merely about partisan advantage it's also about defending incumbency right and so there are plenty of democrats who said fine as long as i get my seat safe you do what you want because i know i'm not going to be in the majority anyway Right, but all right. So, but we need to talk about how relevant this is. The it it state is, but action. I think
1: the the state the state context is important because it's, it's the state context that led to this. I well, mean, it was it was the fact that the uh, that having a map imposed by the courts was not well received, and that you mean by by the within the state within the yeah. state. Mm-hmm. And that there was recognition that the system for drawing maps is flawed, and so they need to find a new one.
3: Yes. And, and the other reason it's relevant is that, that as after this most recent Supreme Court decision, the states is all we have left. A, any advocate has left as a, as a strategy.
1: Right. Well, we're basically at the status quo ante on these court decisions, because there was some thought that perhaps the courts were going to step in and say that all the redistricting that's been going on is unconstitutional for some reason or another,
3: Mm -hmm. uh, having to
1: do with partisan advantages.
3: And have some kind of objective standard that they could apply that would allow them to say
1: yes or no. Right. But the court said, we're not going to do this, Uh, unless it has to do with race. We're not Mm going to do this. Mm -hmm. And so we're essentially where we were beforehand, which is that the locus of activity for what goes on in redistricting is in the states. Right. Uh, And it's also
3: important to note that while most states are, um, have these lines drawn in the legislature and signed by the governor. There are other states that have different nonpartisan or at least less
1: partisan mechanisms for drawing the the Right. And so as I understand it, the question that uh, Governor Wolf put to his commission that he set up that Leanne is a a member of was uh, figure out You know, looking at what other states are doing, considering what the residents of Pennsylvania want to do. Let's come up with a better system. Right. What Leanne says about that, I think, is really interesting. Right. That people come in and they're not even just making public statements like you might see at a uh, at a town hall meeting, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. rather that they're invited to sit with members of right. the commission right. and to discuss. And the commission is a you know a cross section of smart people and involved people in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good uh, table setting for both with respect to. Uh,
3: this issue of of redistricting and gerrymandering and also um, what the commission was out to do. So why don't we bring her in?
2: This is Jenna Spinelli here today with Leanne Banaszak. Leanne, thanks for joining us on Democracy Works. My pleasure. So we are talking today about redistricting and gerrymandering, the thorniest problems of democracy uh, that we're we're facing today. And it's one of those things, you know, every state does things a little bit differently. We've heard a lot recently about North Carolina and Wisconsin and Maryland. We'll we'll maybe talk about the kind of different models in different states later, but you uh, have... Over the past year or so, been working on a commission specifically focused on Pennsylvania. Um, So can you give us a a lay of the land of what the the redistricting landscape is in Pennsylvania and and where this commission fits into that mix?
0: So I'm part of a commission appointed by the governor to make recommendations on how to reform the redistricting process. Um, Obviously, in Pennsylvania, that's become a very salient question. Um, in large part because uh, we had the Pennsylvania Supreme Court step in and redistrict um, over Uh, the process um, as a result of uh, some suits that were filed. Um, and also because uh, we ha- uh, had in the last redistricting process some districts that very famously appear on the web. Uh, the I think the one of the biggest hits has been the Donald Duck kicking goofy district, right? Um, and so that the governor appointed this commission to really explore ways that the process could be
2: um, altered. So this seems like something of an obvious question, but but I think it's it's worth discussing even if briefly. Why why is redistricting important to democracy?
0: Well, so obviously, um, in our electoral system, uh, we elect people via uh, a process of voters in a district vote for one person in that district, right? And so. Um, in the course of setting up those districts, you can determine a lot of how that legislature looks. Um, And so many of the people who have come uh, to the public hearings uh, talk about the fact that um, in the case of redistricting, as it is now in Pennsylvania, what you have are the people who are being elected selecting their voters instead of voters selecting who. who, who's going to represent them. And so uh, the issue is one really of how, um, of representation on the one hand, and also of kind of the democratic process. So who's making the decision? Sure.
2: And th- there's several factors that go into how a district is drawn or or should be drawn. Things like compactness, keeping communities of interest together. Can, can you walk us through what, what some of those factors sure.
0: are? Sure. Um, so obviously the one that most most people think about um, is equal population, and that's one that has been uh, 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 decided by the Supreme Court in Baker versus Carr, which is that um, the expectation is that uh, districts be of approximately equal size. Obviously, it's based on a census. Um, that census happens once every 10 years. And by the time the districts are actually formed, we know that the population has shifted a little bit. But nonetheless, the idea is to have um, as equal as possible Um, A second important quality, and this is in the current Pennsylvania Constitution, is uh, compactness. Um, And compactness is the idea that you don't want to draw districts that have very strange lines. And so there are actually quantitative measures of compactness. Um, The uh, Voting Rights Act also um, provided... Uh, Another important criteria, and that is representation for um, underrepresented groups. Um, And so um, considering, for example, the African-American population and the Hispanic population and their ability to actually seek representation is important. Um, uh, Contiguity is another uh, um, uh, criteria that is important in the redistricting process. Uh, Contiguity is the sense that you can't have a district where one piece is in the west of Pennsylvania and one is in the east that somehow districts should be connected to one another and what that connected means has been part of the discussion uh, or some of the things that we've heard at the hearing a really important one that has come up in the public hearings has been um, the degree to which they split political jurisdictions so um, in the public hearings for the commission we've heard a lot from uh, individuals who live in school districts or cities or counties he's that um, have been split quite a lot by uh, districts, and so um, that also is a consideration. And then uh, communities of interest is also important, um, and that's the idea that regardless of the political jurisdictions, there are sometimes communities that share the same interest, and they should, as much as possible, um, be uh, represented by the same individual. So a good example is we had one, uh, individual from in the public hearing who lives along the Susquehanna River talk about how um, that is a, a community of interest in some sense
2: So th- those are a lot of factors to consider. Yes, yeah. uh, you, you mentioned the uh, public hearings uh, earlier is can you talk about some of the ways that your commission went about hearing from the public what matters to them and, and what they think about the the redistricting process?
0: Sure. Well, so um, our commission uh, was mandated with holding six public hearings. There was a website where individuals could both answer questions and provide written statements if they wanted to, upload documents. Um, we also ran an online survey that people could. Um, Uh, provide feedback on. And we also tried to reach out extensively to different populations to make sure that we were really hearing all voices.
2: Did what you hear uh, differ based on where in the state you were? You know, Philadelphia and Williamsport, for example, are, are very different places. Right. Well, and so uh,
0: I went to, to four hearings in Williamsport, Altoona, Pittsburgh, and then Philly and Harrisburg. I guess I went to five. Um, and yes, there was were some differences, but there was also a lot of agreement across the state in terms of what people were concerned about um, as they were talking to us. So we would bring them up in small groups. We didn't. Most public hear, Many public hearings are. People just read statements, but we actually asked people just to come sit at the at the table with us and talk, and let us ask them questions. And so it was a little more conversational than the usual kind of public statement. Um, uniformly, people were concerned about the way the redistricting process affected the way democracy works in Pennsylvania. That is, um, they were concerned that the current redistricting process um, created uh, difficulties for voters created difficulties for candidates and really um depressed um both turn out, but also increased the mistrust of the legislature over the long term. So we heard a lot of those sorts of statements from people who uh, engaged us in the public hearings.
2: So they they felt that because they had heard that the state had been gerrymandered, that led to increased distrust in in the the legislature?
0: Um, I think the increased mistrust, it was um, of the electoral process Hmm. more than specifically at the legislature. I think people have a connection with their personal legislator. And so I don't think that it's necessarily I mistrust the person who's elected in my district. But I think um, many people talked about the fact that because of a lack of transparency, um, because of a process that really didn't include citizens' voices, and because of a process that seemed to draw districts that didn't kind of follow basic principles that they believed were kind of fundamental, um, that individuals um, talked about the system being rigged. A lot of them talked about incumbents uh, determining their own re-election process. So you heard a lot of mistrust of incumbents particularly, although I think if you had we had pressed those people more and more, many of them have connections to their individual representative, but I think it was a sense that um, that uh, the incumbents were determining their own reelection and that that was not democratic or a word we heard a lot was fair. um as, so I think all of that kind of led to an increased mistrust or distrust mm-hmm. of the process.
2: There are several states that that do things very differently. Uh, I know places like like Arizona and California are often pointed to as as models for different ways that that maps can be drawn. Can you um, tell us what what the the processes there look like and, and whether you think something like that might be viable in Pennsylvania?
0: I think. Uh, to kind of give the general overview, first of all, most states do have their maps drawn by the uh, the General Assembly. But increasingly across the country and in multiple states, there are these um, uh, kind of push for a different sort of process. And I think the basis of that push is the idea that there should be some sort of commission separate from the legislature that um, – uh, determines the maps. Um, in many cases, um, when we talk about determining maps, there are different parts uh, parts in the process that a commission can play. One is that they can draw the maps, and then they're approved by the legislature, um, and that's one process you do see um, at different in, in different states. Um, another is that uh, the independent, some sort of independent commission, creates the entire process
2: in. States like, like Arizona and these places that have the independent commissions, do we see any evidence there that the that this approach produces a fair map than one drawn by the legislature?
0: I think you do see people talking about uh, the process as being somewhat more fair, and and people really, uh, and I should say this is just generally from having red media. There's. I have no concrete evidence of that. The, there seems to be more acceptance of the process. But I should say it's not universal. So there are people who will argue that the California process is also tainted by partisanship.
2: Yeah, and I was actually going to, to ask about the kind of citizen jury model. So in, in deliberative democracy circles, that's talked about as a way to bring more people into the process, take take partisanship out of it. Do you Do you see opportunities to maybe bring a more deliberative approach to to the, the redistricting process?
0: I do uh, let's say I'm a hopeful person <laughs> and I do believe that you can bring more deliberation to the process. I also think with uh the increased transparency that an independent commission can bring um that that also moderates the voices that are involved in the process. And so I think that's another aspect that is really important that is you can um even though our party system at the state level and at the national level is very polarized at the moment. That by making the process transparent, that reduces some of the um, some of that uh, po- party polarization that occurs.
2: Yeah, and and speaking of transparency and polarization did you hear any differences at the public hearings or through other feedback that, that you've collected on the commission about differences in republic in, in how republicans and democrats perceived the the redistricting processes or or gerrymandering things like that
0: there were a few differences but what amazed me was the degree to which there was uniformity and we reached out to some republican uh, particularly towards the republican side multiple times so So among the ordinary citizens, there was general agreement that the process was problematic, although they might see different parts of the process as problematic, but that the process currently going on is problematic. And secondly, um, there was uniform support for the idea of an independent commission somewhere in that process. I think the the uniformity there was really one of the things that amazed me. Um, I had expected much more polarization, so much more support among Republican citizens, for example, for the current process, and I didn't see that at all. Um, now there are different parts of the process that um, people have concerns about, so I do think there are Republicans who had concerned about the most recent redistricting by the PA Supreme Court. I think they saw that as problematic, right? Um, but in terms of creating a normal process by which redistricting could occur, I think there was actually quite a lot of agreement that having an independent commission somewhere in that process would be good.
2: Mm-hmm. How is the, the degree to which natural sorting occurs, how does that impact redistricting and, and how the, the commission is approaching the issue?
0: So I think among all parties, urban, rural... Uh, Republican-Democrat, what you heard was a sense that you wanted a process that was fair, that represented the voices, um, that the kind of diversity of voices across the state of Pennsylvania. Some interesting things. So there were a few Democrats who came from overwhelmingly rural Republican districts who said, you know, I recognize I'm very different from... uh, from the rest of my community, and that I you know am not going to be represented, or at least my party is not going to be represented by um, whoever is elected in my district, but that's okay because that's the democratic process.
2: Mm-hmm. So you spent your career as as a political scientist. Uh, did getting out and and going to these hearings, doing surveys, did you learn anything that that changed how you you perceive redistricting or or things related to it?
0: I think uh, some of the things um, that I had thought about um, were kind of reinforced by. Um, uh, my participation in the process. But it also, I mean, it is something to hear very specific people come up and say, here's the problem I face. I'm represented by a district that's 120, 200 miles long. My representative doesn't have an office um, within 100 miles of me You know, so if I want to go and talk to him, I have to travel for a couple of hours. Or to hear candidates say that they found it very difficult to run for these offices because the costs of being a candidate uh, and traveling across two or three other districts to get to remote parts of a particular district really made it more difficult to participate in the democratic process. Or the 17-year-old who said, you know, I'm really politically active, but me and my fellow high school students can never figure out, like, who represents who because our district is split by two or three uh, congressional candidates. And so we're just kind of – we don't want to talk about it because we're afraid of, you know, looking stupid if we say we're represented by the wrong person, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the ways – just the concrete ways that – these sorts of districts can play out in terms of how democracy works. Were really, really dramatic. I think
2: thinking about the the various criteria we were talking about before, um, uh, compactness, keeping communities of interest together, etc. Those things sometimes conflict. Uh, so how do you how do you prioritize, or you know, how do you determine which which has more weight in in places where they are at odds with each other?
0: Well, the interesting thing is you can draw an amazingly infinite amount of maps if you were just free of any criteria, right? For the people listening to the podcast who are interested in this, I recommend going to draw the lines PA and trying to make a map. That's one of the very first things I did. It is it is not as easy as it seems, but it gives you a sense of where how that wiggle room where that wiggle room is and how to think about it. Right. Um, And you can draw as many as you like. And so you can get a sense of what it's like to um, to try and use those types of criteria.
2: Yeah. And it would be interesting to to listeners out there to see how someone from within Pennsylvania draws the map versus someone from outside Pennsylvania. Right. There's there's a different perspective there. Right. So going back to the uh, public hearings, you, you mentioned that they. Um, you you deliberately chose to have people come up and and talk with you as opposed to reading a, a prepared statement. Can you just talk a little bit more about um, why you you went with that approach and 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 how you think maybe the the results differed as opposed to just having people read statements?
0: So rather we asked people to join us at the table and kind of urged them to talk just really briefly. And then uh, we asked a lot of questions. And the one positive thing about that, I think, was it was conversational. Um, It allowed us to explore some of the concerns that individuals had more deeply. Um, I do think some of the most interesting comments came when you know, we asked, okay, so could you say concretely what exactly is the effect of this on this? Um, it, I mean, it made, I think, the hearings maybe a little bit longer um, in, in that sense. But I I think in terms of learning something, I think it really allowed us to engage in dialogue with people who were really interest, concerned
2: about the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is there... Is there an example that that sticks out to you of of someone who you, there was like a really good dialogue or or maybe you you found you learned a lot from in particular through the course of that questioning process?
0: There are some that stick out more than others. Um for me and I'm very bad with names so I won't remember her name but the very last person who spoke at, um I think it was in Philadelphia was it could have been Harrisburg was a an older woman who talked about, um, you know, her perspective over the years watching how Pennsylvania politics has changed and how concerned she was for, and this really only came out after she had kind of said, well, this is my concern, how concerned she was, not so much for herself. She was 90, (laughs) right? Um, But for her grandkids. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, and, and sometimes it was also just no, understanding a little bit more what the actual effects were of the current
2: process on people. Leanne, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: It was my pleasure.
3: All right, so uh, we're back, Chris and Michael. Um, I'm certainly glad Leanne
1: is on that commission.
3: Yeah, it was, uh, It's. It, it is a, an interesting thing in a lot of ways and extremely timely given where we are as a nation. And, and I do think that, you know, when I've been out, um, the, there's a fairly universal sense that gerrymandering is going on and that there's something fundamentally undemocratic about yeah. it. And I also was struck um, by something that she said that she, will, that she was struck by how uh, uniform— this demand on the part of citizens was for fairness, that irrespective of party, irrespective of um, rural, urban, there was this universal desire for elections that reflect the will of the electorate, right? Now, it is, I mean, I'm certain that how these people are gonna define fairness is gonna differ significantly, but that's what politics is about, right? But the idea that we start with the, With the objective, a universal objective of making elections fair in terms of how they represent the will of the people, I think is, you know, is kind
1: of edifying. What is, is it so, you know, are you going to, as the courts have required, recognize problems of minority disenfranchisement? So if you're going to do that— and create districts where minorities will have representation then maybe you're putting at risk somebody else's notion of what's fair absolutely i
3: I totally agree with that and 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 i actually am you know one of those who says that it's you know there's a lot of ways to make a fair map Mm -hmm. you know depending on how your how your
1: values line up um but people do have this notion, clearly. And I mean, we've been seeing this build up, I think, for years in American politics that the current way of redistricting is not fair mm-hmm. uh, because of this idea. And, I mean, I think this is one thing I take away from what they were doing that's really quite important. I think the fundamental reason people think it's not fair is this notion that politicians or elected officials are picking their own voters. Instead of voters picking politicians. Yes. I think, And she says that. Yeah. And, and I think that's right. And so, I mean, I think the fundamental issue of fairness comes in by who draws the maps, not mm-hmm. necessarily what by what the maps look at. And I know that they were— considering this because, uh, you know, among the materials in the commission and and discussions that they had had to do with what other states are doing, states that have, you know, nonpartisan commissions or something like that Mm -hmm. uh, to develop these maps and that take them out of the hands of politicians. And and so I think the fairness comes in on how the map is drawn, not the the result of the map. That's fair. And and I also think that um,
3: for um, citizens— you know, that might just be sufficient in, in a number of ways, right? I mean, um, their concern is that uh, they don't think it's fair right now, and they want their um, demands to be responded to. So, irrespective of how competitive the new map is or isn't, I think the idea that you um, end up with a process that they judge to be more fair and you respond to their demands um, improves their attitudes about democracy.
1: One one of the things you run into with redistricting partly in the way that the populations are sorted now, especially in terms of partisan identifications, is that it's inevitable. You can't not create democratic maps. It would be almost impossible to completely break up Philadelphia such that there were no democratic seats.
3: Right. No, I agree with that. I think, I mean, this is kind of the the big sword argument, that there are dimensions of uh, district drawing that are just inevitably going to end up with seats that are uh, preponderantly one party or another
1: especially if you're trying at all to retain political jurisdictions right. if you are required to be compact yeah Can, uh, especially compactness actually I would think makes it almost impossible mm-hmm. with how Democrats live in cities and Republicans don't right to uh, to yeah so I that. think
3: people have a an inordinate uh, hope associated with you know, taking this out of the legislature that, you know, elections are going to suddenly become significantly more competitive. And there may be some more, it probably will be some more seats that way. But, you know, if you're talking about um, rural Pennsylvania, it's going to be decidedly Republican. If you're talking about the city of Philadelphia, it's going to be decidedly Democratic.
1: Well, and this gets into the question of whether seats should be competitive or not because seats in Philadelphia should be Democratic and seats in rural Pennsylvania should be Republican right, Or, since or that's, the, that's the politics of Right? Right, right, right. And,
3: and, and you would have to undermine a lot of the other values that people take seriously in drawing maps if that was your primary consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And so, but again, I think that if—that um, this is clearly something that people throughout the state are unhappy
1: with. Yeah, there is a sense that this is an area of politics that has uh, gone unremarked upon in many ways by the public in a, in a while, but that seems to be changing yeah, over they, the last they don't five, like ten 10 years. They don't yeah. like
3: it. Yeah, and and um, with the, it, I think it,
1: it's a consequence of the two thousand and ten redistricting.
3: I think, oh, yeah, they just they Re- just so outrageous. Their hand. Yeah, yeah. They,
1: well, yeah. it depends how you say overplayed. Because had the had the Supreme Court come back with a different decision, then you would have said they overplayed their uh, yeah, hand. Yeah, that's true. But actually, given how the decision came out, one would have to say <laughs> they played their hand magnificently.
3: Well, fair, but um, if they had made them, you know, drawn maps that weren't shaved down to the level of one side of the block versus the other side of the block. And if they had drawn maps that didn't look like Donald Duck kicking Goofy or whatever, I think it may have
1: drawn less attention. No, I don't think so. You know, because, no. Because no, because the key the key measure for people that are looking at this is we won, as, as a Democrat, we won 55% of the vote, and we have 40% of the seats. Mm-hmm. That is a fundamental unfairness right. to us as we look mm-hmm. at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly those were the sorts of outcomes on minority representation that led the Supreme Court to require that districts be drawn in such a way that there's more minority representation. Yeah, yeah. Because you would have states with, say, 30% minority population and zero Legislative seats, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and it was it was decisions on on those kinds of issues uh, that led the courts to say, well, race has to be taken into consideration. You have to create my majority minority districts. Mm-hmm. But to hey, bring it back to where that, we are, you know, the 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 significance of the decision is it's definitely the states. Right, <laughs> you want to deal right. with redistricting. Right. Right. You don't like your maps. You're going to have to take and, it. Up and it's worth level.
3: noting that they picked that the uh, advocates picked Pennsylvania because there were standards in the state constitution. Right. Well, that's and if your state constitution doesn't have that, it's going to be harder for you to do it. Yeah, but it's, it's an but in any case, you, you know the- you, you pick your battles where you got a chance to yep. win, as Sun Tzu said. <laughs> The the decision of the commission, the commission's report's going to come out, I think, in September. So it'll be shortly after this is, uh, you know, out. And um, as soon as it does come out, we'll link to it. And in the meantime, we'll link to the Committee of Seventy and uh, um, other stuff, other cool stuff about gerrymandering. All right. All right. Sounds good. So... um, Thanks to Leanne for giving up her time, and and that's true for all the commissioners, and uh, and it is kind of edifying to hear her uh, um, good report on the citizens who took part in it as uh, as citizens.
1: Yeah, and let's give it the uh, value that it deserves because you know there's a lot of complaint these days about elected officials, and so here's, And about public hearings, and uh, yes, and right? you know, and here is a group of people that are. Determined to try to do the best thing for the state and have given up a lot of their time and are giving the public an opportunity to— To,
3: to genuinely— Yeah, to genuinely con- have input yeah, into an to, important decision. to convey decision. their views as opposed to— To, to just convey their
1: views and to learn, uh-huh. you know, because to I discuss. think part of the roles of uh, commissions here is— uh, We were talking a couple weeks ago, I don't know where this is in terms of the podcast schedule, but about this notion of uh, democratic pedagogy. And here's another example of mm-hmm. where, you know, mm-hmm. a commission like this can help to explain to people right. why decisions made the way that they And to made.
3: model a certain kind of behavior, right? So thanks to Leanne and to all the folks on the commission. Thank you to uh, all you all you for listening. I'm uh, Chris Beam. I'm Michael Berkman. And this has been Democracy Works.